This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us this morning. You certainly do appreciate it. Kind of a uh, quiet night. We're a week away from spring training in Major League Baseball, so uh, I am beyond excited about that, as you can imagine. Uh, so we are uh, going to get ramped up with our baseball coverage here soon. But uh, we've got a lot of other things to get to. Before we get to the sports uh, news from yesterday, uh, I'd be remiss if you know we didn't take a minute to think about the uh, the people in Turkey and Syria. 5,000 people dead now, uh, over 5,000 people dead uh, in a huge earthquake, 7.8. The problem that they're having now is that uh, they're they're running out of time um, to get people out because uh, what's happened is so many of these buildings that there's people trapped in, they're still collapsing. Even though there's nothing going on in terms of uh, aftershocks or anything like that, those buildings were not designed to handle uh, that kind of seismic activity, and they're crumbling as, as they sit there. Um, and it's, so it's a dangerous situation for the people trying to go in and rescue others as well. Just, just horrific. But... It, <laughs> How about this? This is the country that we live in now, folks. I still can't believe that I I saw this this morning. There's some guy, and I don't know who this guy is, but he's got some kind of a a video or television broadcast of some kind. His name is Pete Santilli. And he just did a report on yesterday's show, and I kid you not, folks, the big splash headline across the thing was God responds to satanic Grammys with Armageddon-like earthquakes. You can't make this crap up, folks. This guy is actually, this guy is some right-wing nut job, you know, actually saying that the reason that these earthquakes hit Turkey and Syria was because of the Grammy Awards and the um, performance by Sam Smith and Kim Petras of uh, a song called Unholy, where, you know, there was uh, satanic references and cages and whips and chains and all kinds of good stuff. And um, come on. First of all, I didn't watch the Grammys because, you know, these award shows are basically unwatchable. With the exception of maybe one live performance you might want to see, the rest of it's crap. It's just dreck. You know, and listening to people congratulate themselves, you know, good for you. But it's not something that I'm really interested in watching. You know, if I'm going to watch one, it'll be a country music one. But even that, most of it's just stuff I don't want to see. And with the Grammys, with, you know, uh, 
you know, sounding like the old man that I am now, this, you know, the the, the domination of hip hop and some of this other stuff, it's just uh, it's just unwatchable. So I didn't I didn't watch that performance per se. I saw a highlight of it on today's show, and then when I saw this thing this morning about you know God punishing the. Uh, you know, bringing earthquakes because of this thing. I actually went online and watched the performance. And by the way, I don't care if I ever hear this song again. You know, it's it's crap, but whatever. They won some award for it, which tells you about what's going on with the Grammys. But having said that, really, we're going to start saying that it is because of this that there's an earthquake. We have people like Ted Cruz going ballistic over the Grammys because of this. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene going crazy. Of course, she's already crazy, so I guess what does that really matter? But come on, let's get a grip. You know, it's not... Look, you know, it's kind of like, I guess, you know, when my parents were younger or alive and they were kids and, you know, rock and roll started in Elvis and, you know, uh, their parents thinking that rock and roll music was going to be the ruination of mankind and life was going to end and we're all going to hell. Well, you know, this is just a continuation of this. The problem is now these people that are making these kinds of comments like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Ted Cruz are people that are running our government. God almighty. Uh, anyway, so that was just, uh, I, that was just unbelievable. I could not believe I saw that. Um, uh, oh, by the way, uh, before I forget, um, since we didn't do our show yesterday, I have to take a second to wish a happy birthday to my oldest daughter, Emily. She turned 35 yesterday and I'm still trying to figure out how I have a 35 year old child. Um, man, I mean, I guess now I know how my, now I guess I know how my mother felt. The year I turned 60 and she just looked at me and just shook her head and was like, I, you know, you never thought you'd live to see it. I mean, she, you know, but 35 years old. So happy birthday, Emily. And it just means I'm another year older, even though I'm, I'm really not. But, uh, um, and, uh, one other thing I, I found out this morning and, and I, I don't know why I missed this probably because I'm down South now. Um, I was a big fan of, uh, Don Imus. Growing up, and, and Don Imus is part of the reason why I decided to do this radio show. Um, after I I retired from working at you know in sports and colleges and universities, and I decided that uh, I wanted to do something. I mean, I'm not ever going to be Imus, and I'm on a you know I, I I've got you know several hundred listeners as opposed to several million, uh, which Imus had at one time. But I was a big fan of Don Imus, and his executive producer of his show was a guy by the name of uh, Bernard McGurk. And Bernie was funnier than hell, a uh, guy that grew up in the Bronx and uh, did a lot of comedy skits with Imus, but he was a very, very smart guy. Well, after Imus retired, uh, Bernie got a job working for WABC in New York, um, doing a morning show with Sid Rosenberg, who actually used to be part of the Imus show as well. Uh, it's kind of a uh, you know a conservative right-wing show, but I'm not sure Bernie really was that kind of guy. I think it was more of that was just... Uh, uh, a way for him to continue in broadcasting. But I just found out today that he passed away um, in November of last year. He was only 64 years old, prostate cancer. I was just, you know, so uh, just a uh, just sad moment when I read that this morning. But And, and it, it, the reason I actually even looked it up is I saw a thing on my Twitter feed for Sid Rosenberg's show 
on WABC. And I said, well, wait a minute. Pernie used to be part of that show. And so I ended up having to Google it. And then I found out he had passed away in November. So I uh, uh, just want to take a moment to remember uh, Bernie McGurk. All right, let's get to sports. Um, tickets in uh, Los Angeles uh, for Lakers games. And we don't talk a lot of NBA on this show very often because I'm not a huge NBA fan. Uh, I'm a college basketball fan. The NBA isn't what it used to be. Again, sounding like the old man that I am. Um, but uh, ticket prices uh, for uh, the next couple of Lakers games are through the roof. Why? Uh, LeBron James is 35 points away from tying Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's uh, all-time scoring record of 38,387 points. He needs 35 to tie, 36 to go ahead. He's going to do that in the next couple of games. He's averaging 25, 26, 27 a game, something like that. So he'll... You know, he'll if he doesn't do it. They play tonight. If they if he doesn't do it tonight, uh, he'll do it on Thursday against the Bucks. Um, and so, and, you know, look, uh, good for him. You know what it does is is it, uh, it does a couple of things. And number one, it brings up well, who's the greatest of all time? Well, it's kind of like talking about you know the greatest of all time in anything. We t- just had the conversation about Tom Brady. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? I mean, I don't know how you can't say that he is, but people are going to have their own opinions well if LeBron James becomes the NBA's all-time leading scorer does that mean that he is the greatest NBA player of all time I'll tell you he's in the top five but he's not he's not number one or number two maybe even not number three in my book to me Michael Jordan is still the you know probably the greatest basketball player of all time uh and he was the greatest winner um, perhaps of all time, just the willing his team to win. I mean, actually, the greatest winner of all time was probably Bill Russell, uh, who won 11 NBA championships with the Celtics. Uh, but I, w- I would argue that Michael Jordan's the best. And I would argue that Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Tim Duncan are all better than LeBron James. Now, LeBron James is going to have the record because he's played forever. And he's been lucky to stay healthy for most of his career. I mean, look about this. I mean, in his first 15 years, he only missed 71 total games in 15 seasons, which is remarkable. Now, he's missed a whole bunch of games in the last four years. He's averaging missing 25 to 30 games a year. Um, but he's never had, like, the major, like, the you know, had to have knee surgery or anything like that. He's, he's ba- been able to stay fairly healthy. You know, the other thing that raises the, the you know, the idea of, of is he as good as Jabbar was, hey, look, uh, he is setting, he's going to break Jabbar's record in the same number of seasons that Kareem did it. Kareem did it in 20 seasons, and LeBron's going to do the same thing. And LeBron's probably going to play another year or two. He's made some comments about wanting to play with his, his son, who's in high school. So uh, getting ready to go to college. So he may stick around a couple more years. Who knows? But I still don't think he's the greatest of all time. But the other thing I was glad of is it brings up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, you have to put him in that the conversation. Now, I would say Kareem's not in the top five simply because Kareem was kind of a – I don't want to say a one-trick pony, but Kareem was – you know, he was a dominant, dominant post player. But, you know, uh, LeBron James can do everything. Michael Jordan could do everything. He could bring the ball up the floor. They could pass. They could shoot. They could drive to the basket. I mean, they, you know, athletically, they were more talented than Kareem. But Kareem was a different kind of athlete. He was, you know, he was big. You know, he was seven feet tall. And, and, and he could do one thing or two things. He could shoot 
um, around the basket. He could score around the basket, and he could rebound. Will Chamberlain, same kind of thing. But when you look at guys like Bird and Magic and, and, and Michael Jordan, I mean, these are guys that could do everything. So to me, they they get you know elevated above a guy like Kareem. But it's good to have Kareem's name. You know, you forget about him. It's, he's you know he retired so long ago. But Kareem was unbelievable on those Lakers teams that that Magic was on. You know, and before that, playing with the Bucks. You know, he and he had the the sky hook they called it. You know, that hook shot that he had that was you could not block it. It was unblockable. And he, you get him that ball around the paint, and he was scoring. So, uh, you know, so is, is, is LeBron the best of all time? No. And, I, you know, the young kids are going to say that he is, and the old people are going to say that he isn't, and the people in between are going to probably say he isn't as, as well. You know, again, I think Michael Jordan has to go on top. Six NBA championships with the Bulls and the way he played the game. I know, you know, Bill Russell won more championships, but uh, Michael did everything, everything. Um, and, you know, look, Michael averaged – over 30 points a game for his entire career. 30 points a game. LeBron James averaged around 27. Kareem averaged like 25. Will Chamberlain averaged 30 a game. Will Chamberlain, of course, was you know had 100 points in one game. He averaged 50 points a game in a season. That's ridiculous. But you know LeBron's not the greatest of all time. He's a hell of a player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to tell you that LeBron stinks. But he's not the goat. You know, and, and, and it's like that. But, but again, there's going to be people that are going to insist to the day they die that he is. And that's what's fun about sports. Everybody has an opinion. Who's the greatest baseball player of all time? Who's the greatest hockey player of all time? Is it Wayne Gretzky? Right? Other people will tell you it's Sidney Crosby. Other people will tell you that it's uh, uh, Mario Lemieux or Yarmir Yager or Alex Ovechkin. I mean, it's just, you know, Bobby Orr. Who was the greatest of all time? You know, and uh, we all know the old saying, opinions are like you-know-whats. But that's what makes sports so much fun. Um, Other NBA news, and and we didn't talk about it yesterday, obviously, since we weren't here, but Kyrie Irving getting traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Dallas Mavericks after Kyrie asked for a trade, like, last weekend like last Friday, they made this happen in record time. And he is going to the Dallas Mavericks to play with Luka Doncic, uh, who's, you know, perhaps the best player in the NBA right now. Um, I mean, think about this. Doncic averages like 30 a game. Kyrie Irving's averaging 27 a game. I mean, they are going to be a dynamic duo. The problem is, is that Kyrie Irving is perhaps the most malcontented player Ever. I mean, honest to God, this guy wears out his welcome no matter where he is. He did it in Cleveland. He did it in Boston. He did it in Brooklyn. And it's just a matter of time before he wears out his welcome in Dallas. Now, it could be a short stint in Dallas because he's a he's scheduled to be a free agent at the end of the season. Now, whether Dallas will try to lock him up into a, a contract extension, I mean, who knows? But Kyrie Irving's a guy that, yeah, he's talented as hell. But is it a guy that you want on your team? Is this a guy, is Doncic going to like playing with him? You know, Kyrie Irving wants to be the man. You know, and, and his his time in Brooklyn was just brutal. 
you know, this is a guy that wouldn't get, you know, vaccinated. Had to miss most of the Brooklyn's home games last season. He took two leave of absences during the 2021 season. I mean, this guy just, you know, this is the guy that thought the world was flat. He kept insisting that the, the world was flat. Lord Almighty. You know, this is a guy that when he was in Boston was going to be a, a Celtic for life. And then absolutely, he didn't just burn a bridge on the way out of Boston. He nuked it. So I, I don't know, you know, I look, Dallas is in a position now where they're a little bit desperate, right? They are in a position in the standings where I guess they feel they've got nothing to lose. If it doesn't work and Irving can't get along with these guys, they got him for half a year. They're going to make a run with him and hope that they can get, you know, themselves better playoff position and maybe put themselves, you know, in line to actually make a run in the playoffs. If it works, great. If he and Doncic get along really well, great. Then maybe you try to lock him up, you know, for an extended time in Dallas. If not, it's half a year and you're out. You know, and look, Dallas is in a position right now. They sit in second place in the Southwest Conference. But they are right now in sixth, the sixth seed overall in the Western Conference. Southwest Division, they're second, but in the Western Conference overall, they're a six or seven seed, depending on how you look at the tiebreakers right now. So, you know, they're looking at having to play a team like Memphis or Sacramento or the Clippers early in this tournament. And right now, you know, they can't hang. So I guess it's worth a shot. And look, uh, you know, people will tell you that the, that the Nets got a lot back for him. I'm sorry, but getting Spencer Dinwiddie is not <laughs> what I would call getting a lot back. And they got a first-round pick, but the first-round pick that the Nets got back isn't until 2029. It's in six years. And they're going to cut a couple of future second-rounders, but they're not in this upcoming draft. So they got, you know... <laughs> They got capital for, you know, three, four, five years down the road, but they didn't really get anything for them right now. And if you're the Nets, what are you doing? You know, are you throwing the towel in on the season? They've still got Kevin Durant on this team, who's one of the best players in the NBA when he's healthy, which he's not right now. And this is a guy in Kevin Durant who said he wanted to be traded out of the Nets and then changed his mind after... Kyrie Irving opted into the final year of his contract. Well, now if you're Kevin Durant and you're looking around at, in the locker room going, oh, Jesus, you know, is Kevin Durant going to want out? And if you're the Nets, does that mean you're totally tearing this team down? Kevin Durant's got three more years on his contract. So theoretically, whether he wants to be traded or not, the Nets can make him play because he's got a contract for three years. But maybe this is going to be a case where the Nets are going to say, you know what, let's just tear it all down. We'll trade Durant. Let's get some more draft picks back from him. And, you know, I don't know who the hell is going to take Durant. That's a huge contract. You know, there was some, some rumors that, well, the, you know, the Knicks got a lot of draft capital that, you know, they could probably get some picks from the Knicks. The Knicks have in the next – um, over the next seven seasons, Knicks have 11 first-round picks, four of which could be in 2023 coming up. 
and nine second-round picks. And they've got a bunch of young players as well. Now, they'd have to take on one, you know, they'd probably have to take Derrick Rose who's making like $13 million this year because the amount of money that Kevin Durant's making in the NBA with the, uh, uh, the salary cap the way there is, there would have to be some uh, some big contracts. But Kevin Durant still has three years on his contract worth $152 million. Yikes. So even if the Knicks want to make this trade, they're taking on a big, big nut. And if you're, if you're the Nets, you want, you want a few of those first-rounders. And you want them, like, coming up next year because otherwise – you know, what's the point of trading Kevin Durant? I, You know, you might be just better off keeping him. But this could be a total de- teardown for the Brooklyn Nets. And when you look at the Nets right now, you know, they're kind of in the same spot as Dallas is. The Nets right now are a five seed in the Eastern Conference. They're in third in the Atlantic Division behind Boston and Philadelphia. But right now they are a five seed in the Eastern Conference, kind of middle of the pack, right where Dallas is in the Western Conference, and it looks like Dallas is going for it, and Brooklyn's saying, you know, crying uncle. Yeah, I don't know. Did, you know what I mean? They could, you know, they could probably, you know, hang on to a playoff spot without Kyrie Irving, but not much else. I mean, they, you know, they'd be one of those where they'd be going in and play, playing the Bucks or, or the Celtics in the first round and getting bounced. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what they want to do. But it was a, a curious trade. Uh, and now we have to see whether the Nets are are tearing it down and rebuilding or what. Because they, to me, what they got back for Kyrie Irving isn't helping them this year. It isn't even helping them next year. Interesting, though, the, 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 uh, the Mavericks make the trade for Kyrie Irving. And they had a game last night. Now, Kyrie Irving was not in uniform yet. He was uh, getting a physical. He's supposedly going to play his first game with his new team on Wednesday. Um, but despite that, the Mavericks go out last night and uh, they beat the Utah Jazz. You know, now the Jazz are a 500 team, but a, the Jazz are a team that is pretty hot right now. They had already beaten the Mavericks twice this season. The Mavericks go out last night and they get. Uh, uh, 29 points from Josh Green and Jaden Hardy, guys that were averaging and uh, respectively 8.1 and 5.6 points a game. They each go out and throw 29 down last night. So without Luka Doncic, they go out and they beat the Jazz last night by 13. And now they get Kyrie Irving. Uh, Doncic did not play. He has uh, got a heel bruise. Uh, he's missed his third game in the last 10 days. No idea yet when he will be back. But, uh, look, they're going to be a potent team when he comes back. It's just a matter of whether uh, they can keep Irving from disrupting that entire locker room. If, you know, Kyrie Irving's smart, and I'm not sure he is. People will try to tell you he is. I'm not sure about that. If he's smart, he goes out there, he shuts his mouth and plays, and and uh, and then he can, look, then he can write his own ticket at the end of the year if he wants. He's a free agent. The problem with Kyrie Irving as a free agent is this guy's kryptonite. If you're an if you're an NBA GM, I don't know how you look at this guy. And say, yeah, you know what? Let's sign this guy to a five year contract for you know twenty million a year. I mean, I don't know how you do that after seeing what he did in Cleveland, what he did in Boston, and what he did in Brooklyn. So you know, Kyrie Irving has kind of, in some ways, he's painted himself into a corner. So if he is if he's smart, he keeps his mouth shut. He helps D- Dallas get into the playoffs, and he helps will Dallas, you know, 
maybe into the uh, – I don't know that they're going to be good enough to get into the Western Conference Finals, but if he can help them get to that point, he can help himself in free agency a ton. Uh, the Celtics played last night. They beat the Detroit Pistons 111-99. Jason Tatum does what Jason Tatum always does, 34 points, uh, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, and the Celtics continue – to have the best record in the NBA, 38-16. and 16. Look, they had struggled. Uh, they had lost four of their last six. So they right the ship last night, uh, beating up on the Detroit Pistons, who aren't very good. Look, if they hadn't beaten the Pistons, it was going to be a problem. The Pistons have only won 14 games all year. They have the third worst record in the NBA. Uh, but they've got a big game coming up on uh, Wednesday night. They host the Philadelphia 76ers, the team in second place in the Eastern Conference, just three games behind them. So uh, uh, they did not have Jalen Brown last night. Uh, he was out. They said it's a, a non-COVID Ill- illness. That's where we've come these days. It has to be specified as a non-COVID illness. But he was out last night. So uh, hopefully he will be able to be back and play when they face the 76ers on Thursday. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, The, whoa, what the heck was that? Let's let's stop that. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, Hit the wrong button. Um, The uh, AP Top 25 polls came out uh, yesterday. South Carolina remains the number one team in college basketball as expected after they beat the uh, UConn Huskies this last week. Look, by the way, I got to give the Huskies a lot of credit. Did not have a chance to talk about this yesterday, but uh, look, UConn was number five in the country, but, you know, based on, you know, they've still got a lot of talent, but based on the Big East, you know, competition, they kind of had breezed through their season to that point, and I really expected them to get drilled by South Carolina. The fact that they hung in there with South Carolina. Matter of fact, had a 12-point lead in the first quarter before finally losing by four points. Uh, Impressed the hell out of me. And it tells me this team, uh, when they get Caroline Ducharme and AC Fudd back, uh, they're going to be, they are really going to have, uh, uh, they're going to be a tough out. You know, they really are. I, if they, and if they had Paige Beckers, forget it. You know, South Carolina showed that they do have some weaknesses. Look, you know, UConn's got to figure out the rebounding part. Uh, that's really hurting them right now, and that was the difference in the game against South Carolina. South Carolina out-rebounded them. I think it was 43-29, to 29, and uh, it really made a big difference. But South Carolina is still pretty good, but UConn showed me an awful lot uh, on, on Sunday. Uh, so South Carolina, number one. Indiana has jumped up to number two. LSU, the number three team. UConn was five last week. They jumped up to number four despite the loss. Uh, I think they impressed a lot of the voters um, as much as they did me. So UConn now number four in the country. The UConn men uh, play tonight. They move up from number 23 to number 21. Purdue stayed number one in the men's poll despite losing last week. Purdue still the number one team in the country. Uh, UConn with a big game tonight. They're number 21. They will take on number 10 Marquette. Marquette right now leading the Big East, the game is at 6.30. It's on FS1 if you're interested in watching it. Um, look, this is a game that UConn's got to have. If you know, Look, they lost um, in Milwaukee back on January 11th to Marquette. It was an 82-76 game. 
UConn had an 11-point lead in that game. That was a game – that was, to me, that was one of the most disappointing losses of the season for the Huskies. They looked like they owned Marquette early in this game and then just uh, their defense completely fell apart. They started settling for the – you know, taking the easy three uh, way too early in possessions. And uh, uh, so – this is this team is is got some flaws. There's no question about it. I think, and and I said this last week. I think, to me, uh, Danny Hurley has given this team too much freedom offensively. You know, and and uh, I know he says he doesn't want to stifle them, but there are times. The, look, these are still kids. They still uh, play with a lot of emotion, a lot of adrenaline. And to me, I think you know structuring them a little bit better offensively might be in the Huskies' best interests. But, you know, that's easy for me to say sitting here in my studio uh, in the middle of nowhere in uh, North Carolina. Um, As I said, spring training starts next week. I can't wait. Uh, I think the early signing day for Red Sox pitchers and catchers is the 12th, and that's for players that are going to participate uh, in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, the rest of the pitchers and catchers is supposed to report by the 15th and then full workouts start on the 20th. And I think the first Red Sox spring training game is actually before the end of the month. Oh, how great is that? Um, interesting. Uh, there was an interview. Jeff Passan of ESPN um, interviewed Steve Cohen the other day. And Steve Cohen is taking the owner of the Mets is taking a lot of heat, you know, and he said, and, and this was a great, great response by Cohen. He said, I've heard what everybody else has heard. I've heard what everybody else has heard that the other owners are not happy with me. And he says, I look at it like, Hey, you're looking at the wrong person. They're putting it on me. Maybe they need to look more at themselves. I'm not responsible for other teams run their clubs. It's not my job. And there are disparities in baseball. We know that. But I'm following the rules. They set the rules down. I'm following them. He's 100% right. Now, look, there is no doubt that Cohen has changed the landscape now, and and not for the better. But the guy is is one of the richest guys in the country. And if he wants to spend his money this way, then that's up to him. You know, if they didn't want to allow that, they would put a hard cap on salaries in Major League Baseball so Steve Cohen couldn't do what he's doing. But he's doing, he hasn't doing anything that isn't within the rules. Think about this. He guaranteed $500 million to free agents this offseason. $500 million. The Mets are going to have the highest payroll in in the history of Major League Baseball this season, including luxury tax penalties that they're going to pay for going over that you know that threshold, the, the last threshold. Their payroll with the luxury tax penalties is going to be four hundred and sixty-eight million dollars. I repeat, four hundred and sixty-eight million dollars the Mets are going to pay more in luxury tax penalties than five teams have committed to their entire collective bargaining tax payrolls 
I repeat, their luxury tax is going to be more than five teams are paying to their payrolls. If that Carlos Correa deal had, had, had stuck with the Mets, they would have been paying more in taxes than 10 other teams' payrolls. <laughs> this is insanity. But look, here's the deal. Steve Cohen is absolutely right. If you want to be angry at Steve Cohen because he spent all this money and he's changed the landscape and he's made it more difficult for your team to compete, I get it. However, and I've talked about this, there are right now a dozen owners who are going to put out teams this year with payrolls of less than $100 million. Now, I know, you know, those of us sitting at home, you know, this is all like monopoly money because it's the kind of money we'll never see in our lifetimes. But they are going, there are teams that are going to pay their entire roster less than $100 million. When you take into consideration the amount of money that teams are getting from the Major League Baseball national broadcasting rights with Fox and ESPN and Apple TV, and YouTube TV, and everybody else that's carrying their games, when you take into the, the media rights nationally, as well as what teams get from their local uh, broadcast rights, like, you know, for instance, for the Red Sox, it would be Nesson. For uh, the Yankees, it would be Yes, uh, or the Bally Sports, or TBS, or whatever it is for all these different... Um, I guess TBS doesn't do games anymore. It shows you how old I am. Um, but, uh, you know, what they get from their local broadcasting rights as well as the national ones, before they have sold a ticket, they have $75 million in the bank. Think about that. So you already have $75 million in the bank. You haven't sold one ticket, sold one hot dog, uh, gotten any parking revenue, uh, no concessions, nothing. You've already got $75 million in the bank, and you are going to put out a team with a payroll of less than $100 million. What does that tell you, ladies and gentlemen? It tells you that these owners that are doing this are pocketing all this money. They have turned owning a Major League Baseball team into a cash cow. And make no mistake, Steve Cohen is not going to lose money on the Mets. Despite all this money, that he is spending, he is going to make money. Take that to the bank. The amount, the people in New York are going to go crazy for this. The amount of merch that they're going to sell, the ticket prices, I mean, they are going to make money. What they're going to be able to get from their advertisers on their local broadcasts, what they're going to be able to get for uh, the cost of a uh, a billboard or a, you know something within the stadium itself, all those things go up when the profile of your team goes up. And right now, the Mets have the highest profile of any team in Major League Baseball, perhaps outside of the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So they are going to be able to command top dollar for all those things. So make no mistake. Steve Cohen's still going to make money. 
So these teams like the Oakland Athletics and the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, and, and the Tampa Bay Rays and all these other teams that don't want to spend money are doing their fans a disservice. Look, no, not every team can go out and, 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 and spend Steve Cohen money. I get that. But you need to be able to put a representative team out there. And year after year after year, we see teams like Pittsburgh and Oakland. And, and you know, unfortunately, what hurts this is the fact that the Rays have done it and they've been successful doing it. That's the problem. You know, if all these, you know, teams that aren't spending money never made the playoffs, it'd be harder to argue. But when you see what the Rays do every year, you know, you got to throw up your hands and you go, you're killing me. But if you're a Pirates fan or an A's fan and, you know, we can come up with the Cleveland Indians had a, a pathetic payroll this year. You know, I mean, uh, you know, when you look at that, you go, well, what what's what what's happening with all the money, you know? And by the way, this luxury tax that Steve Cohen has to pay, and all the teams that go over the salary, uh, the luxury tax threshold have to pay. All that money is then spread out to the lower market teams. All that money is then given to these other teams to spend on their payroll. And the problem is, and it hasn't been policed, is that we have had teams like the Pirates and the Rays and the A's, et cetera, et cetera, that have not reinvested that money into their payroll, which is what they're supposed to be doing. So I agree. Steve Cohen is playing within the rules. Yeah, you know, he's. it's almost like he's playing with loaded dice, but he hasn't done anything to break any rules. It's more of shame on the teams that aren't trying to put out the best product. And I don't know, look, if if the Mets blow through the National League this year and crush everybody with this payroll and, and they beat everybody and they breeze to a World Series title and they do that for a couple of years with Steve Cohen spending all this money, there may be some calls for some changes to outlaw this. You, you may suddenly start hearing calls for, hey, we need to have a salary cap. I mean, think about this. Major League Baseball, they have the luxury tax threshold, which I think is around 220 or $230 million, right, for, what, 25 players, right? The NFL, who has rosters of over 50 players, that's their salary cap, and it's a hard cap for 50-plus players. So, you know, you can make the case that, you know, finances in Major League Baseball have gone out of control. I can't argue that. But that union is so strong in Major League Baseball, it is going to be difficult to ever get a salary cap in. But Steve Cohen isn't doing anything against the rules. So if you're the Pirate fan or the A's fan or whoever, be pissed at your own owner that they're pocketing money that should be going into payroll because they're making money from broadcast rights alone. Some of these teams' payrolls are about what their broadcast rights are, the national ones. They, they get a check every year from Major League Baseball for that you know multi-billion-dollar contract that they got from uh, Fox and ESPN. So there's plenty of money there. These teams are just choosing not to spend it. It's not Steve Cohen's fault. 
speaking of the Rays, uh, we talked last week about there's supposed to be a new ballpark down in Tampa, and it's going to be built right next to the one that's already there. Well, these, there was a story in the Tampa Times yesterday that says, uh, and uh, they said that uh, the, the Razor said, well, we know that uh, that we're going to have to pay our share of the new ballpark. Hey, no kidding. And as I've said all along, not only should they pay their share, they should pay for the whole damn thing. Because, look, this new ballpark, if it if it turns out to be what you know they're hoping it's going to be, who's going to benefit? The owners of the Rays. Now, you can make the case that the other stuff they want to do, like putting in affordable housing and other things like that, that could benefit the city as a whole. But that ballpark is not going to benefit the city at all. All that's going to do is put money into the owners' pockets. And I'm of the firm belief that public money should never be spent for any ballpark, for any sport. And there's been study after study done showing that it provides no net public benefit. It just doesn't. So uh, I would imagine, you know, the Orioles might argue that in the city of Baltimore with what happened with the Inner Harbor and having Camden Yards there, and that might be an exception. But by and large, it's the teams that get rich off these new ballparks, and it's usually on the back of the taxpayers. 49 minutes past the hour. We've got to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 51 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a uh, Tuesday morning. Um, one other Mets note. They have uh, hired Carlos Beltran as a special assistant to the general manager. And the reason that this is kind of interesting and curious is that Carlos Beltran uh, <laughs> was supposed to be the Mets manager. If you remember, um, before they ended up hiring Buck Showalter, they had hired Carlos Beltran, and uh, his tenure there was very short because the whole uh, cheating thing came out with the Houston Astros, and he was relieved of his duties, and he ended up going into the broadcast booth uh, with the New York Yankees last year. Uh, he was... Uh, was told that he was going to be working in the uh, studio this year. So they were going to demote him, basically, because in the broadcast world, if you're not calling the games and you're in the uh, studio, you've been demoted. And so Carlos Beltran was going to be demoted into the studio for pre- and post-game shows, and he said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm out of here. And so uh, he was looking for a job, and uh, he and Billy Epler know each other. Um, Epler was an assistant GM uh, with the Yankees back when uh, Beltran signed as a free agent there. Uh, so he and Epler know each other, so he is going to go to the Mets and serve as a, uh, a special assistant. No, I, no idea what that means. Uh, this is just a way for Carlos Beltran to stay in the game. Look, he's going to be a manager one day. Uh, I believe that. He's also going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Uh, his first year on the ballot this year, he got almost 47% of the vote. And frankly, had it not been for the fact that he was involved in the cheating scandal in Houston, uh, he might have made it. Look, this is a guy that he was an all-star nine times. He hit 280 for his career, 435 home runs. He was the rookie of the year in 99. Um, uh, you know, look, this is, a, this is a guy that is probably a Hall of Famer. And, you know, he may be one day, but he's definitely going to be a manager. So this is a way, I think, maybe a stepping stone for him. Um, 
Matt Barnes appeared on a uh, podcast with uh, Jared Carabas. I'm not a huge fan of Jared Carabas, but having said that, he was on his uh, podcast, and he talked about what happened when he got designated for assignment by the Red Sox and then traded. He said he went. He actually went in to talk to Heim Bloom about it, and he said, "I asked him. I said, what's the logic? Can you?" He says, "You got to explain it to me because I need to know." what you're thinking. And he said, Bloom basically said to him it was uh, roster construction and having flexible pieces and yada, yada, yada. And he said, and he said on, on paper, he said the last two months of the season were, and he said he didn't say lucky, but he insinuated that my success the last two months of the season was luck. So needless to say, Matt Barnes is pissed. And he's already said Uh, that he has circled on the calendar June 27th when the Marlins are in Boston because he wants to stick it to the Red Sox. Uh, Look, I can't blame the guy. And look, I have said all along, Heim Bloom has done a great job of alienating Red Sox fans, Red Sox players, Red Sox front office. This guy just doesn't fit in Boston. I've said it all along, and I will say that till the day that I die. Um, and he said, "Look," uh, and, and and he said, "Look," he said, "You know," he talked about the what's going on in the culture. And he said, "Look, the one guy I would have expected to stay in Boston for their entire career would have been Mookie Betts." And he said, "The fact that he isn't here is crazy to me." Well, why isn't he there? Talk to Heim Bloom. And because look, here's the thing: he may have come in, and the ownership might have said, "Look, we may need to move him." Um, if you're Heim Bloom, you come in there and you say, uh, no. <laughs> if you have any stones, you come in there and you say, no, this guy's a generational player. We're not moving him. But they did. You know, here's the other thing. And, uh, uh, this was brought up in an article in the Boston Herald. He's, and, and, uh, Jason Mastrodano made a great point. If, if the analytics were actually telling the Red Sox that Matt Barnes was just being lucky in August and September when they were, when they put him back out there in the ninth inning again. Well, then why did they do that? If he was just being lucky, why not give the ball to some other young kid uh, that could have, uh, you know, gotten some experience? I don't get it. So Matt Barnes is pissed. I don't blame him. Look, Matt Barnes grew up a Yankee fan. This just gives him uh, reason to hate the Red Sox again as a Yankee fan. <laughs> so that ought to be interesting. Uh, one other quick thing. Congratulations. Justin Rose uh, snapped a four-year streak uh, on the PGA Tour. He won Pebble Beach yesterday. Um, because of weather, they finished the tournament yesterday, and he had uh, uh, three birdies and a couple of bo- uh, a couple of pars down the stretch, and he ended up winning by uh, three shots over Brendan Todd. Um, look, this is a guy that was a uh, was number one in the world the last time that he won a tournament. Back in 2019, he won Torrey Pines. He was number one. He finished last year number 76 in the world, his lowest point since 2010. Uh, he thought his his days of winning might have been over. His back's been giving him trouble, so. Uh, he wins yesterday, and he also, because of that, earns an invitation to the Masters so he can keep his streak alive of uh, qualifying uh, for every major, which is a streak dating back to uh, 2010 in St. Andrews. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hope you all have a great Tuesday. It's Garth Brooks's birthday. Somehow he turned He's 61. Uh, so, uh, in honor of Garth Brooks' birthday, here's, uh, here's an appropriate song. Much too young to feel this damn old. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.